My name is Robert Thiem, and I'm your host. Welcome to our podcast, What Does God Say About? In these podcasts, I will present questions that others have asked. The answers are excerpts from messages I have presented in Bible classes. So, let's begin. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. We'll begin at verse 28. But you know, during the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, many times he described the need for the salvation of mankind, but from different perspectives, but always with the same objective, that is to elicit faith alone in Christ alone. Sometimes he was very short and blunt in his statement for the need of salvation. Uh, When he makes statements like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except by me, he was making clear in very short terms that he was the only pathway to God and there is no other. And sometimes he was very harsh in the face of rejection because the alternative to believing in him was the lake of fire, is the lake of fire. And so he was harsh in the terms that he used so that those who heard him would understand the consequences. And then, of course, sometimes he's very kindly, as is often the case in the Gospel of John. And uh, as he spoke to those who were sick or lame or had some other affliction. But one of the most poignant illustrations of man's need is Jesus Christ's invitation found in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says, this is Christ speaking, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, Matthew eleven twenty-eight is a continuation of the Lord's Prayer of Luke chapter 10, verses 21 and 22. But in Matthew eleven twenty-eight, he is inviting all to come to him, to approach him with wonderful results. The results is rest, or the result is rest. But those who have not come to him, he describes in terms terrible terms of a a life of drudgery, a bleak life, a life with truly no future. He says they labor. They labor to the point of exhaustion. He means they pass out from weariness in life. They can only look forward in these words to a life of desolation. He refers here, you see, to the brutal grind of life without him and the alternative tranquility of soul of those who come to him. So continuing then in verse 28, Jesus Christ uses another description of the life of an unbeliever. They are heavy laden. In other words, they are being crushed under the weight of life which is the weight, of course, of sin and condemnation and the fear that goes along with it. 
You see, the unbeliever fights a losing battle against restiveness, hopelessness, emptiness. But the moving aspect of Jesus Christ's invitation to all is the offer of rest from this distress of soul, from the burdens of life. He says in verse 28b, I will give you rest. Rest there means to soothe, to refresh, to relax from the fears and the anguishes of life if they come to him. He offers himself as the one who accomplishes this rest. All any person need do is to come to him by means of faith alone. So this is an invitation to salvation, the means of rest from the crush of the heavily burdened life of the spiritually dead. Then in Matthew eleven twenty nine, the second part, Jesus offers that which anyone who has come to him can have. He, he says, you will find rest for your souls. In other words, what anyone who comes to him will find is peace of mind. This is a rest subsequent to the expression of faith alone for salvation. The first rest is salvation. This rest is what happens after salvation. But how does faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life lead to a rest of soul? And the answer is, people rest when they know their future is secure. That's a rest in life. Uncertainties bring unrest. The certainty of a future when that's secure, brings rest. But first, one must gain a confidence in that future. You know, you may be told, I don't know if you've ever been told this before, but some have, you may, be, may have been told that you have a secure future because you have just inherited a great fortune. But at the time of the reading of the will, when you are informed of this inheritance, you truly cannot come to understand the full meaning of that fortune on the rest of your life. You only know that you have it, and it seems to be a point of security. And just so the believer inherits a massive fortune in Christ. But after he believes in Christ, he must appropriate the reality of that fortune, as is stated in Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the confidence of glory, the confidence of an eternal future. And once that discovery is made, then the believer will rest in the reality and confident assurance of eternal life. You have eternal life, but you must understand what that means to you. 
The fact is, every believer possesses a secure, eternal future at the moment that they are, they become, or they are in union with Christ by faith alone. The moment of faith alone. And that union with Christ is never broken. We share everything Christ is and He has, and that means eternity and eternal future. But you see, the reality of that eternal future assurance must be confirmed. In other words, become a certainty in the consciousness of a believer. And I don't mean here by works that you do. You don't become confident and assured because of what you do. Your works are not the means of confirmation and rest. The rest derives from what is in your soul. That's where it comes from. It's like any other doctrine that a believer must absorb into his thinking and apply to his life. The confidence of assurance requires the metabolizing of the basic doctrine of eternal security. That's the assurance of an eternal future. The doctrine of eternal security, which I have covered many times in this auditorium and which most of you know, but it is a basic rationale for rest. A rationale for the believer applying faith rest and living the faith rest life. How soothing and relaxing it is to have have firmly established in your soul an assurance that your life takes on an eternal future. That when you pass from this earth, there is... Eternity in heaven. That you have an ironclad promise of that eternal life in heaven. And that is the truth and the reality of your assurance. But many Christians question. They question the validity of the doctrine of eternal security without proof of works without proof of what they do. They're insecure unless they act a certain way. And if they think that, it has very unsettling results for their tranquility in life. You see, this controversy has caused a lack of confidence for so many believers in this world. And this lack of confidence, lack of assurance, breeds a basic instability in life, in the Christian life. What a tragedy that is for a believer to be unstable in a life designed to have to be completely stable. It causes a disconnect with the Christian life and with Bible doctrine, which is the source of the Christian life, understanding it. And it's a blockage in the process of realizing rest in the soul. And even worse, it brings a consistent worry as to whether faith alone in Christ alone has a lasting effect. 
You see, such uncertain or uncertainty in believers ruins the opportunity to live the grace-oriented spiritual life designed by God for all believers. What does Christ offer? He offers rest. He doesn't offer turmoil. He doesn't offer hopelessness. He doesn't offer doubt. There is no doubt in the absolute doctrines of, of, uh, of the spiritual life, of the Christian life. And yet so many people do. These kinds of questions, especially about eternal security, signify a terror of conscience and a lack of rest and of understanding of the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. They don't understand grace. It's a disorientation to God's grace. And there is no confidence for them in the immutability of God's promise about uh, whether they are really saved or not. God's promise is faith alone in Christ alone and you have eternal life. But they have a hard time processing and applying that promise. They cannot rest in what Christ offers in verse 29b. You see, a life of doubt is not God's will for believers. And doubt is the uh, consequence of the rejection of the doctrine of eternal security by faith alone. God did not design our lives to be one of constant soul turmoil. He designed it to be a life of rest, relaxation, soothing doctrine in the soul. And you know, there's a very specific reason for this lack of assurance in the minds of many, many believers. It revolves around basic Christian thinking about the work of Jesus Christ and the place of their own works in life. What is the place of works for a believer in Jesus Christ in relation to their eternal future? This they do not understand. Christians will say that uh, Christ died for sins, and so salvation is available to all because of that. They understand that. In fact, that's a part of the uh, salvation package. It is the salvation package. Christ died for our sins. And those who are believers certainly admit that. And they also understand that through faith alone in Christ alone, people in general are saved and they are justified. Meaning that uh, when they express faith in Christ, they receive the righteousness of God. It is imputed to them and therefore they are acceptable to God because of His righteousness. And you see, there's the problem for so many. Righteousness. Whose righteousness is it that God accepts? Their righteousness 
or God's righteousness? And the problem is, they're not sure. Their question then is, okay, we know that, or I know, if they are questioning this doctrine, that there are those who are saved and they are justified. But which people are saved and justified? Is it really me? Because someone has been saved. I know that from the scripture. But is it me? Have I been saved? That's a lack of confidence in their own faith. Is faith enough? This is a huge problem in Christianity today. You see, where the problem lies is in accepting the fact of personal justification and salvation. They know it's there. They have problems personalizing their positional justification and hence their eternal life. What is it that really saves me? Doubting believers accept that justification happens to others. But it's so much harder to be confident that it has happened to him or her. They know the work of Christ on the cross. They admit his work is the means of salvation. But the sad part is they are unsure, they are uncertain of the effects of their faith in him. Is it enough? Am I covered? Is there something else that I have to accomplish to be certain? You see, the grace of God in Christ for these people just doesn't seem to be enough. Those other believers must be doing something right. I know some of them are justified because God promises that they are. But is that true for me? And you see people agonize, agonize, and agonize if it's enough. Doesn't matter that the scripture says that, there's that uncertainty. Usually, these types of believers are terrified that they have not lived a good enough life. They have not done enough service for Christ. They have not become holy enough by living without major sin. Oh, there's little sins, that's one thing. But they may be hiding some uh, major mental attitude sins or some sexual sins or some other persistent sin in their life that they can't seem to shake. Now, doesn't faith alone in Christ alone remove all of that? <laughs> yes, it does. Positionally, it's gone. Positionally, you have righteousness. You are righteousness. You, you have been accepted 
into the family of God the moment you express faith in Christ because you are justified. He does accept your righteousness. And here are people trying to figure out whether their righteousness is enough. And this is being preached in pulpits all over America. By the way, it's called legalism. So they go years and years and years agonizing their status in Christ. And they don't even understand rebound. They don't understand that God has already provided a way to handle those post-salvation sins, that they're not an issue in salvation. They are an issue in the spiritual life. And when people grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, they begin to understand that. But if they don't, if they reject doctrines like eternal security, then they often become hypocritical and legalistic because of their uncertainty. And then what happens? Well, in order to make themselves feel better and see themselves in the light of the Christian life that they presume or what they presume to be the Christian life, they must seek sin in others so that they feel better about their own sins. See, it's a mask that they wear. The mask of hypocrisy. I'm better than you are because I am more righteous than you are. And that makes them feel righteous. That is an absolute false way of gaining certainty in the Christian life. By comparing the sins of one person with another, that gives you certainty. That's tenuous at best. I've heard it before, or I've heard it thought before. No, I've heard it before. I am less of a sinner than that person. I don't sin these terrible sins that these antinomian people sin, that these profligate people, these prodigal people sin. I am better than they are, therefore God is accepting of me. And let me tell you, there is turmoil of soul where that thinking goes on. No rest. So they conclude, God must smile on me because I'm such a great Christian. Therefore, I am secure. And nothing could be further from the truth. They are absolutely insecure comparing one person with another. That's insecurity, especially in the Christian life. I want you to realize... These are people who have expressed faith in Christ, and they are saved and justified. And yet they live and die in terror. They are afraid. They are doomed to hell by their own actions or lack thereof. I wonder if you've ever gone to sleep at night and had that thought. What if I don't wake up in the morning? Will I go to heaven? That's the same thing. Even when that thought crosses your mind. You have nothing to do with hell or judgment. 
one moment of faith alone in Christ alone, we have a gracious God. And some of you may worry about your about those that you love, about whether or not they are saved. One short, simple, split second of believing in Christ, and they will never, ever experience such a horror as that. That's all it takes. And yet people agonize. You know what that is? It's often called a crisis of faith. And it is the absolute opposite of the rest Christ offers by faith alone in Christ alone. And so no burden is lifted off the soul of such doubters. And yet that's exactly what Christ invites. Come, all to, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. That's the unbeliever. But they're never, it's never lifted. And that is the epitome of legalism. Thinking that one's works must be added to faith for assurance of salvation and justification. It's preached over and over and over. And it's very sad for those confused believers when they could have had such confidence from doctrine. I trust you have that confidence because you long ago have accepted and metabolized the doctrine of eternal security and you have continued to metabolize doctrine so that you see the grace involved in the spiritual life. You understand rebound. You have become grace-oriented. And a grace-oriented believer is a relaxed rested believer. So the answer to this crisis of faith is so clear. Metabolizing what the scripture states so clearly concerning the assurance of a believer, the assurance that we have in our eternal life. Passage after passage in the Bible expounds the doctrine of faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. When a person expresses that faith in Christ, he is eternally saved. I always love it when people wave John 3.16 with 100,000 people at a game. And there are Christians sitting in that audience who are just like the ones I have described. And yet, there it is. God so loved the world that he gave his uniquely born son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. doesn't say whoever believes in him and then lives a good life. But that's the way they think. At the point of faith, you are positionally justified. <clears throat> Just as uh, <clears throat> Abraham was when he believed. He had an unassailable, ironclad future. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 3 briefly. Romans 4, 3 is the great passage of the imputation of God's righteousness through faith alone in Christ alone. It's the very passage necessary to solidify eternal security in your soul. 
Romans 4.3 hearkens back to the time when God made a promise to Abraham that we call the Abrahamic Covenant. And it was a promise that Abraham believed. And it was a promise that went all the way back to Genesis 3.15. Romans 4.3 says, For what does the Scripture say? The Old Testament, that is. Abraham believed God. That's faith alone. He believed God. What did he believe? What was the content of his faith? Well, Abraham didn't know the name of Jesus Christ. He knew the name of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And we have seen many times is none other than Jesus Christ, the Shekinah glory. Abraham believed what was promised in the proto-evangel in Genesis 3.15, that there would be a Savior that would crush the head of the serpent, of Satan, would win the angelic conflict strategically on the cross, would be his Savior. That's what he believed. And what happened? It was credited to him as righteousness. Credited to him Given to him by God. Did he earn it? No. It was a gift. That's what grace is. As soon as he believed, it was his. And like Abraham, every believer receives the righteousness of God that cannot be removed by any personal sin, no matter how bad that sin is. No matter how terrible the sin is. What they forget and miss or never understood is that Christ died for all sins. And they are no longer issues in salvation or for justification. And yet that's the stumbling block. Personal sins after salvation are handled, as I've said many times, by rebound, not by guilt penance or hypocrisy. That's the crisis of faith. There can be no loss of salvation once immutable God justifies by faith in Christ. However, there is a warning to all believers. Having understood this justification by faith, Understanding that once we have believed in Christ, we are justified. Understanding that we have an eternal position, position in Christ, and that heaven is already ours, there is a warning. The problems and the burdens of life don't simply go away after the assurance of salvation is appropriated. Now, that shouldn't be a a surprise to any of you. All of us have burdens and problems in life. Yet, there is always a solution to those burdens. Jesus Christ never leaves us without a solution, ever. Once a person is saved and assured... Once a person has that justification, then he or she has the opportunity for a further rest. Living the Christian life, living the faith rest life, 
And this can only derive from what Christ offers in Matthew eleven twenty nine. First, the Lord talks about come to him and he will lift the burden. And we understand that that burden begins. The burden being lifted begins at faith alone in Christ alone and continues as uh, understanding doctrine. But now, as always, the Lord provides a mechanic to do that. He tells us exactly what is necessary to lift burdens off of you in the Christian life. The burden of of uh, eternal condemnation is lifted. But the burden of life for the believer, that's another story. And that's the story that we will cover in our second service. Thank you for listening. If at any time you would like to order full sermons free of charge, you can order online at baraka.church. That's B-E-R-A-C-H-A-H dot church. Or call 713-622-6922 or write us at 2815 Sage Road, Houston, Texas 77056.